it was visually fun to watch and oh, yeah. it was just yeah um but anyway moving on uh <clears throat> excuse me hello and welcome to the watcher's guide to the marvel universe i am max i am jr sorry i said that weird <laughs> yeah you did it's cool how's it going uh it's fine uh Bit of a week, but not a bad week. Uh, mostly just lots of work and tired. Um, yeah. And veterinary adventures continue. Oh, really? Yeah. We uh, got to see an oncologist. So that's fun. Fun. Um, but things got caught really early, so hopefully uh, we're going to start drugs when they oh, arrive. Yeah, I, think, I think I saw the thing you posted about that yeah so, yeah cool uh so yeah but it'll be good it'll be fine it'll be that's for yeah. sure uh and yourself uh good i uh so easter's tomorrow and i've always kind of hated easter I don't um, get it as a holiday. A, even even when I was a kid, and you know, I was raised Christian and blah blah blah. Um, I just didn't want to like. I I hated the family obligations that came along with it. There were so many things that had certain obligations. Christmas, you've got to spend with family. Thanksgiving, you've got to spend with family. You know, on and on and on. And with Easter, like, I just wanted to be like, hey, can we not do this? Because it was like, we would... We would have to do like the the sunrise services and then go to the normal church service and then there'd be an egg hunt and then we'd go somewhere else and there would be a thing. And I'm just like, can I can I just go home and think about Jesus? Like, is that okay? Um, And now that now that I'm an atheist, like you'd think it would be fairly straightforward, like Easter comes around and you're just like, okay, thanks. I'm gonna take the day off and uh stay home and binge watch something you know but still we're having to and i you know don't get me wrong like i love casey's family um but we've got a we've got a full day tomorrow and i'm just kind of like i don't want i just but does it start with going to church at like 7 a.m no no but our day is starting early tomorrow anyway um and you know, like I said, I, that's not to, that's not to say I like hanging out with Casey's family. I like it in the context of hanging out when it is a holiday and there's like, Hey, you'll come over to our house. We'll do a thing. And then there will be this and this. And I'm just kind of like, that sounds good, but it sounds like a lot. And it sounds like a thing that there's like pressure with like yeah I have that's to put why on, i have to put on clean clothes and like you have to prepare put on a nice dish clothes. you know and that's why my favorite holiday is uh new year's day well <laughs> yeah. it was 
uh, because New Year's Day is great because you day drink. You go to your brother, or I go to my brother's house, day drink, and watch uh, Twilight Zone all day. Yeah, like that's uh, he makes black beans or black eyed peas because he likes to do that, not because anyone's pressuring him to do so. Right, and then all we do is play board games and watch Twilight Zone. That's it's the best holiday. Um, that sounds magical. Um, it really is. You don't have to be like. There's no time constraints either. Yeah. It's when did you get up? It's eleven. I guess if we're going to do this at all today, I need to come over, don't I? And he's like, <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, I'm halfway through cooking, so yeah. I'm like, all right, cool. Yeah. Uh, but the liquor stores are still open. It's great. Yeah. Uh, what do we got for news? Uh, there's a bunch of bullshit. A new Iron Man armor for Realm of Wars. Peter Ooh. Quill died again. Because uh, <laughs> they killed him, they brought him back, and then now they've killed him again, maybe. Uh, but the big thing is, so Marvel is, as part of, the, or spinning out from War of Realms, Marvel is doing a Valkyrie series. Um, what surprises me is that, so, the movie version of Valkyrie is going to be appearing in Exiles, I think. Um but, or at least one that's similar. And may, she may not be from the universe of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, but right. she's based on that. Um, but you could do that. You it's could ex- easily. If, it, if it's Exiles, you could definitely do that. The, yeah, there's no reason you couldn't. Uh, but this is going to be Jane Foster. Um, so, I like you know, it. Jane Foster... Died at the end of her run as Thor. Uh, Thor was heartbroken. She had uh, impressed Odin, so he helped Thor bring her back. Yada. Um, Apparently, as a result of War of the Realms, um, the the Valkyries are dead. Um, Oh, wow. And uh, without the Valkyries, there can be no Valhalla. Um, so Jane agrees to become a Valkyrie and, uh, she's, she's armed with, so usually the Valkyries have like their swords and armor and their flying horse, blah, blah, blah. Uh, Jane will have, I don't know what the name of it is. It's the all weapon, which is basically the obligatory, like becomes whatever you need. Okay. Uh, which is how she has wings. If you look at the promo image, she has wings. And the reason for that is because the weapon can become a pair of wings for her. Oh, um, okay. So, yeah. Uh, that's that. I, you know, I I like the idea of Jane Foster doing stuff. I liked her as Thor. Um, and uh, so forth. So, yeah, cool. I'm cool with it, yeah. Yeah. Um, plus, it'll shut it'll shut people up. Like, you know, uh, invariably there's, of course, the Thor's a chick now. Ugh. Bullshit, but yeah, whatever. Anyway. I give um, that no credence. Nor do I, but the fact that those people exist annoys me. It's well, like, 
man yes. it's 2019 get the fuck over it yeah um <laughs> your but, argument is pointless get over it uh well, yeah, pointless and completely like historically ignorant <laughs> like well that's the thing like we've been learning and i mean even these bo- the books this week does it a little bit too especially in the later man thing i think and somewhere along the lines in iron man i remember thinking about it too but um the and i know we said this a lot especially last week but the get your politics out of my comics is just the dumbest like well yeah but just the dumbest but the whole replacing replacing a an established character with a minority thing or whatever it's just like they've been doing that for so long bro right. like this didn't start yesterday no they've been doing this for ever get get over it it's fine yeah it's anyway. it didn't hurt you then yeah all right So, uh, we start with this week with Man-Thing number 13, and, uh, you know, we're gonna, we're gonna plow through several of these because we have a big thing to talk about this week, and fuck it. So, Man-Thing number 13, uh, written by Steve Gerber, penciled by John Bushima, inked by Tom Sutton, colored by Petra Goldberg, and lettered by John Costanza. Uh, Man-Thing wanders into a dock, winds up hiding among some crates to look at some people, and they then get picked up with a net and dropped into the hold of a boat. <laughs> it was um, very, it's a whole, it's a very Looney Tunes opening. It, right? it is. Like, this, this is, is how... This is how, like, the cat winds up in France and winds up getting uh, sexually assaulted by Pepe Le Pew, or right, whatever. exactly. Um, but... The uh, the thing about it, or what was it, the kangaroo uh, from the Sylvester cartoon, you know, stuff like that, where it's just like, oh, no, we dropped a crate. Well, fuck it. <laughs> um, but anyway, so the ship has been commissioned to take these scientists to the Bermuda Triangle because people still believe in that shit. Um, and the scientists are led by a woman researcher named Maura something uh, Maura Spinner Maura Spinner um, yeah and she, she is hot like <laughs> fiery as soon as she gets on the boat and is like we're gonna do things my fucking way and like take me to the thing where's the hold I want to see the equipment and they're yeah. like it's down there uh, and she gets down there she's like it's all fucked up down here because we skipped that sorry man thing was doing stuff and knock some shit over and yeah he's man thing he's brainless um and also apparently blind in darkness which i was a little okay disappointing but whatever uh but man thing has been slowly weakening because of his uh being out of the swamp um which like Weakened is one thing, but Man-Thing can die if he's not in the swamp, which seems like kind of a dumb weakness. I mean, you're never going to be able to do anything anywhere else. There's there's always going to be, if, we have, if we're going to do this, we have to contrive a way, and they do this later this week, well. for him to be able to continue to exist. And it's annoying. But anyway. The, um, I don't. 
I don't see I actually like in the earlier issues of Man Thing that we read, I like the fact that he's pretty well confined to the swamp, like but like also right. built into that story, the way that you accommodate that and the way that they have is that um the swamp is also full of demons and magical shit. Like that's how they do that. It gives you a lot of things you can play with, but with Man Thing just being the constant, essentially fucking anything can happen in this swamp. Well, which right. and that's the that's the that's the early and simple conceit is anything can happen in this fucking swamp and right. will. Um, therefore, it's kind of it's kind of like an ongoing bottle episode. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, no. Yeah. But in a way that I think works because that's the whole idea so yeah. when you take man thing out of that i immediately am like i don't care i like i liked him better in the swamp weirder shit happens in the swamp yeah and like that's man thing in New York, i don't give a shit oh yeah that episode or that is episode that issue was kind of fine i mean it was king kong but that was it like okay you made a king kong good job good yeah. job guys uh who wrote this? Did we do that? Yeah, it's uh, okay. Steve Gerber. Steve Gerber, um, okay. But so uh, Man-Thing passes out because he's so goddamn weak. They put him in a net and suspend him over the side and uh, are going to drop him. But Mora's like, no, look at this thing. We can study it. Uh, they reach the Bermuda Triangle and a ship appears, but it's like an old-timey ship and there's pirates and they're boarded. Um they capture Mora and are like, she's our queen. And everybody's like, what the fuck are you talking about? Man thing breaks free and attempts to fight them. But, uh, they knock him over the side and because they're up high, he falls out and freezes in the vacuum of space. Um, so the reason he ended up on the ghost or man thing ends up on the ghost ship is because as they're taking Mora, a Moira, Mora, Moira, Moira away, away. He, the captain, one of the pirate brigands guys is like, "Hey, Cap, look at the thing." And the captain's like, "Wow, that's a big thing. Bring it with us, and maybe it'll help." It's like that's yeah. a, that's a. You're not learning the Hulk lesson. That's the good lesson. When it's big and ugly and doesn't and looks like it might fuck you up, leave it there. Yeah, uh, if you don't have a specific reason, leave it. Yeah. And so they, they take him to the ship, or to the other ship, which then flies off, I thought, just into the sky, but no. Apparently they were going, like, orbital, which I yeah. don't... Like, they were going from the Bermuda Triangle to the Bermuda Triangle, so I don't know why they had to go suborbital, um, other than fuck it. <laughs> like, I don't uh, know. But they, yeah, they all end up bowling... They take... Dr. Spinner down to the into the the ship and they're like put her in her real clothes and everyone still she just doesn't understand what the hell they're talking about Uh, they kick Man-Thing off the side end of issue yeah Uh, Man-Thing number 14 is penciled by Alfredo Alcala who also inks it colored by Glenna Sween and lettered by Marcus Paleo uh, Marcos Paleo Uh, Man-Thing burns up in re-entry but enough of him makes it to planet that he uh he lands in the ocean uh not far from the ship uh and they are now apparently back earthside captain fate and his pirate 
band. So they explain that uh, 200 years ago, she was their queen. Um, and uh, they heard about a treasure. They went and found this tower that is only accessible by, via the roof. They climb it and get inside. Um, and hooray, treasure. But then they wake up the thing that owns the tower, um, which is a satyr. Um, and he's like, hey, this is my shit. You can take it, but I need a woman. And uh, in doing so, he would be restored to his former glory. Fate and the others are just like, yeah, cool, bye, and take the gold. Um, Mora, or yeah, her former self, whatever her name was, assumes that they knew she was going to escape and that they were going to be waiting for her, but they don't. So they just take off. Um, and then, uh, she, uh, Cord, Cordis, the satyr, uh, is like, what are you doing? I just want to love you. So she stabs him and curses the crew. Um, and then Cordis is just like, okay, fine, I'll do that. But you're going to be immortal and you'll have three lifetimes uh, to change your mind and whatever. So uh, Man-Thing settles onto the ocean floor and pulls himself together from the crap down there um, and is drawn toward the tower, uh, gets to... which has sunk beneath the waves. Sorry. It then sank after Cordis seemingly died. Um, Man-Thing touches the remains, which causes it to come back to the surface. The pirate crew go to the tower and attack or, and are confronted by Cordis. Um, and the ship that Mora chartered early on shows up and the captain, the captain is an idiot and he's like, we can go up that way. And so he does, but he realizes he didn't order anybody to come with him. And he's just like, well, that was stupid. And uh, so, yeah, he uh, he kills fate, the Captain Fate. Um, and Man-Things fights the pirates. And then Mora winds up deciding to honor uh, Cordis's wishes. And uh, that's it. Everybody else leaves. Cordis sends Man-Thing back to the swamp. And the tower fucking sinks. And whatever this was not a good ep not a good issue yeah or not a good story just because it was like a little over the place and i wasn't super sure what i was supposed to be like that's the cool part about man thing most of the time is like this is a story that has something to say even if that something to say is a little cheesy uh yeah. this one is just like okay so there was a bit of an adventure ish it wasn't really that cool uh, a lot of the cool stuff happened at other times. Man-Thing gets to throw some pirates around. That's kind of it. Everybody go home. The, the, right. major, the major thing that I have against this is 
if you remove it from the context of the swamp, there is no reason for Man-Thing to be there. Like, he... You know, if this were pirate ghosts in the swamps of Florida, fine. I would, yeah, alright. But it's not. It's pirate ghosts out in the fucking Bermuda Triangle. If you want to tell a pirate ghost story, tell a pirate ghost story. Marvel has other anthologies going all the time. Oh yeah. Write it and do it there. Like I'm in it. I'm in it for it. Let's I do don't, this. I don't know why anybody looked at this and was just like man thing. Yeah. Yeah. You know um, what the, yeah, but you know what man thing needs? What? Less swamp. Yeah. No. That's <laughs> that's the whole no. Yeah. All right. Uh, so Fantastic Four number 158, uh, written by Roy Thomas, penciled by Rich Buckler, inked by Joe Sinnott, uh, colored by Janice Cohen, and lettered by Bo- Joe Rosen. This one I kind of want to just blow through because it's so utterly inconsequential. Um, <clears throat> the only things that happen here that are of note involve the Fantastic Four themselves. The actual story is a dumb invasion thing involving characters from Strange Tales when Johnny Storm was a shitty asshole and I did not care. Um, So Reed and Sue are back together. She's not yet a member of the Fantastic Four again and they're talking about what she's going to do. She's like, I might be a private eye and Reed's like, well, you'd be really good at that but I'd sure like you to come back to the Fantastic Four. Um... And she's just like, okay, well, we'll see. Um, And then, like, Medusa is off doing her thing and all this shit. Johnny Storm returns to the Baxter building. No one else is there. Um, And uh, (sighs) the... uh, He, uh, he goes inside, then we switch down to the street level, and we find Quicksilver, who makes his way through the sewers, uh, and finds a route into the Baxter building that most people don't know about, um, makes his way inside, he and Johnny hit it off incorrectly, and, uh, wind up fighting, at which point the other members of the Fantastic Four show up, um... Johnny's just like, fuck you, man. I I played nice at your wedding, but I don't have to now. Keep it up and I'm going to roast your ass. Quicksilver's like, I'd like to see you try. Reed is just like, you both need to shut the fuck up. Yeah. Um, and so Quicksilver explains that uh, the hidden refuge was um, overtaken by these extra dimensional aliens that Johnny has had run-ins with previously um, and he may or may not have fucked one of them Uh, and then Quicksilver explains that they have taken over the refuge, they have a weapon that they're trying to convince Black Bolt to fire for them because it will amplify his voice and destroy everything The, uh, the way they're going to do that is by convincing Medusa to come back to the Great Refuge uh, Quicksilver was sent uh, and told that if he did not return with her, Crystal would die. They all are like, yeah, let's go. 
uh, Sue's like, cool, I'll just need to find a sitter for Franklin. And Reed's like, no, you stay here. And they take off. Um, well, Reed's a dick right at the end, too. Yeah. Because he's like, Sue's like, hey, I can come too. You know what? Uh, let me find a sitter and a thing or and a suit and I'll come too. And he's like, no, if you're not going to be a member of the Fantastic Four, then you're not going. Yeah. And it's like, dude take the help like what's wrong with you and he's yeah. like because it's his fucking ego and i i hate the move because i don't like it when dudes act like this yeah. but at the same time as far as an in keeping with character this does work because that's exactly what reed would do even yeah. though he's even though he has been making minor footsteps forward and like accepting her that choices has nothing to and do with the job though you know yeah like, right exactly he's like i'll accept your choices and i will support you on them but you need to make them and if you're not going to make them to be the fantastic four then you can't be you can't come too and it's like like i get what you're saying guy but at the same time she's offering help yeah. like what's don't be a dick all right yep uh so they they all take off for the himalayas uh, seemingly leaving Sue behind. Uh, Fantastic Four number 159. They arrive in the hidden land. Blah, blah, blah. There's some fights. They're captured. Blah. Whatever. Um, finally, with Medusa there, Black Bolt is basically forced into doing it. Zemu, the leader of these assholes, uh, uses it to blow up a um, Chinese military facility. Um, in the hopes of then triggering like a war, but whatever. Um, yeah, he, his plan is okay. Now that I've tri- now that I've blown that thing up, you ha- you either have to help me, or the Americans and the Chinese are going to go to war, and I'll just go back to the fifth dimension. Right. So either I'm fine either way and you're boned either way uh yeah and so the chinese figure out roughly where the attack came from and fire a nuke uh and everybody's like oh shit what are we gonna do at which point sue shows up turns the entire refuge invisible uh or no they launch planes yeah they don't fire to attack the my bad they yeah. launch planes that it, that are looking for who caused it. Um, Sue shows up and is like, I decided to say fuck you and come anyway. And she turns the entire refuge invisible. The planes don't see it. They head back. They're like, we don't know what, what it was. Uh, Zemu is defeated um, and sent back to the fifth dimension in chains. Uh, the girl that Johnny fucked is just like, hey, maybe look me up sometime. Uh, Johnny puts on his old school blue and black Fantastic Four uniform because Sue has decided she's going to stay and might as well get back in the spirit of it. (sighs) Whatever. Uh, Story over. Zemnu went back to the fifth dimension sometime during the fracas just because he was like, nope, bye, and left all his dudes. Yeah. Uh, They beat him up story kind of over like the last thing they do is explain how sue managed to turn the whole refuge uh invisible 
which is dumb and doesn't keep in with what because like the weapon is supposed to also be able to amplify uh like mental mental abilities mental energy which whatever dude um uh, yeah. The the thing oh, I will say. Medusa, did you say Medu- or did you say that Medusa ends up oh. deciding that she's gonna stay? She's gonna stay with the Inhumans, which is a good move. Yeah, because it's where she always felt kind of weird and out of place. And I think even she, I think that even comes out in some of the character from previous issues. Yeah. Um, also, I just like the fact Medusa needs to be with Black Bolt in my head. Like otherwise, the whole thing. The other four of the royal family can probably read black bolt pretty well but it doesn't it doesn't seem to work as an overwhelming show of power like they're just their their stance together whenever you slip uh what was it It wasn't infinity oh never mind um and just Medusa and Black Bolt standing together on like the the Adelan Deus is a very very strong do not fuck with this family pose, right. and I I I like it. Well, every everyone else is subservient to Black Bolt. They will do whatever Black Bolt says. Medusa right. is an equal with him, mm-hmm. uh, and commands. Not just because she's she interprets for him, though that that does obviously play into it. So nobody's going to be like, "Okay, you shut the fuck up, girly. I want to talk to your husband." Um, right. But also because, you know, they she's just she's an equal partner in the whole thing, and she's the only one who, when Black Bolt's in the wrong, can really be like, "Dude, no." Um, it does, and it's it's also really cool to have that the that she's the only one that can do that is because Black Bolt's so rarely horribly wrong, right? Like in whatever his decision or his new motivation is, mm-hmm. like. But that when when he is uh, Medusa, being able to just walk up and be like, "No, yeah. no, not anymore," and he literally just goes. Okay, yeah, you're right. Yeah. Like what for whatever it is. And it's it's a little bit of cheating as far as like you end up sucking some tension out that way, but that's it's such a good move. I like it. Yeah. Uh, anyway. So, uh next we get uh Giant Size Man Thing number 3, written by Steve Gerber, penciled and inked by Alfredo Alcala, colored by Petra Goldberg and lettered by Marcos Paleo. Um, there's a bunch of dudes who are trying to, back when Howard the Duck showed up, there was also Korek, uh, this fantasy dude, you know, big yeah. dude, long Took me hair, a minute. sword. I mean, he's, yeah, it, he's, he, he's Conan, but not Conan. He's uh, Conan, but he wears a shirt basically. Right. Uh, yeah. like, yeah. So he, uh, he returns home to Cathartha discovers that his dad is dead and the town the his realm is being besieged by um these three assholes and uh, he is just like as the prince i've got to do something about this and blah uh 
so he, um, when we join the story, he is being held by the evil wizard Clonus and uh, this other guy who doesn't matter. Um, he should matter, but he doesn't. His name is Mortak, and yeah. uh, he's the one that Clonus is man- manipulating to. Because Clonus thinks he's in charge and is like, I'm going to be king now of this new, of a combined region and blah. And uh, Clonus is like, yeah, sure, dude. Mm-hmm. We'll get you there. Um, uh, Man Thing shows up where they're holding him as they're sort of having some sort of conflab about how they just, uh, how the serpent bats, serpent hawks are going to be here soon to devour their sacrifice who we're still not introduced to yet man thing walks up the stairs and everybody's like what the fuck is that doing here and man thing's very confused as well um i guess he's always confused anyway they they're a bit of a tussle everybody clonus and mortok they leave uh yeah they did they do the standard villain thing of like okay now that we've left you in this death trap we're gonna go and these things like feed only once a year and yeah. that's like tonight so they're just like well he's fucked so let's let's get on with our shit and it uh, reminded me of like pitch black mhm um uh, so they survive the serpent bats and they are transported uh to um Dakim and uh what's what's her tits Jennifer Jennifer um who's been studying with him and uh they rest and eat and get cleaned up and all of that. Uh, and they're just like, we need to do something about this. And Dakima is like, cool, just to let you know, not all of us are going to make it back. And they're like, oh, damn. So um, they go and they fight Clonus and Mortak, during which time they are transported to Earth. The battle continues there. Dakim is struck down by Clonus. Um, and you know, there's a whole thing about like, I knew it was going to be me, but I didn't want to tell you. I wanted your entire, like your head to be in the battle and focused on what you were going to do, whatever. Um, so Jennifer wraps up Mortak and Clonus and they're sent off to, into space. Um, and, uh, so Dakeem dies, but apparently his ghost is going to continue showing up. So he's not really like, why kill him? But whatever. Uh, Man-Thing heads back to the swamp and Korok and Jennifer are like, bye. And they take Dakeem's body to, I don't know, burn it. Um, meh. I didn't hate this because uh, it kind of keeps moving. That's one of the good things about giant sizes, at least, is like, most of the time, we're moving along. Yeah, uh, you, there's got, not they a feel lot like, of farting they feel like they've, Well, and there could be, because they've got the extra pages, but they don't. it doesn't fart around in this story, with the exception of uh, Korak get... Dakim asks Korak what his favorite like bedtime story from forever ago was, and he tells a whole myth about this, kid, this guy flying too close to the stars to... Uh, yeah sometimes um, what you really want will wind up hurting you if you get right. it and 
yeah uh the thing that i did like two things man thing centric that i liked in this story is when they're in dakeem's castle uh man thing kind of gets left alone and he sort of just sort of trudges off and finds uh dakeem's like alchemy center or lab and gets irrationally upset and just destroys the whole thing he doesn't know why he's mad he just gets pissed and breaks everything in the room and then lumbers out again uh i i like it just as a bit of a character beat he's still in there somewhere um which is kind of important for the well the next issue's real dumb uh well and then the last thing that i liked man thing was cutting off a dragon's head with a stop sign that was fucking rad that was Uh, pretty cool yeah so i don't know that that's that's grasping at straws but i like that no no i mean yeah that was one of the highlights of the issue but whatever um and then man thing number 15 which this one i don't know man um written by steve gerber penciled by tony dezuniga uh alfredo alcala and rico rival inked by alfredo alcala and rico rival uh, colored by Glynisween and lettered by Marcos Paleo. Uh, Man Thing isn't actually in this issue. Um, okay, so I like my I like I like weird. Yeah, I like weird. I don't mind a little horror in my comic books. It's weird. It, I'm very strange. I can't stand horror any any other context but comics. Uh, so you'd think. But there's a there. I need fucking rules. There are no goddamn rules in this issue. Mm-hmm. Please explain what happens. So we've got the we've got this woman Saint Cloud who goes to visit a candle shop. Um, and she buys a candle that's shaped like man thing. Um, we find out that a friend recommended the place to her. Blah blah blah. Uh, after she leaves. There's a dark figure who is talking to the owner of the candle shop and he's like, yes, she has the hallucinogenic hallucinogenic candle. So now the plan rolls into effect, whatever. So he's all kept in shadow and is talking about uh, ugliness on the inside at some or ugliness on the. uh, Yeah, it whatever. We'll get back to that guy. Yeah. She goes back. Uh, she bought the candle because because she does that while she writes and it helps somehow. So she sees her blind boyfriend. Um, God, what's her name? What's his name? Greg? Jeremy. I thought it. Yeah. Uh, she she sees Jeremy and he's like, I know you like to be alone when you write. So bye. And she's like, OK, cool. Thanks. Bye. Um and uh, it starts causing her to hallucinate and she starts thinking about this dude she knew for like a minute named Ted Salas, which is how we wind up with our man thing connection other than the candle being shaped of whatever. Um, so we find out that this girl St. Cloud was actually how how he went about becoming more cognizant of what his work could be used for um and we get a we get a brief thing of going back to the stuff in daredevil about the government project he was working on where 
soldiers would become like pollution eating oh yeah whatever um and the reason that he wound up quitting that was because she had said like you know why can't things just be groovy man and he's like oh my god you're right um so then at one point apparently he was just like so i know we've known each other for like a minute would you marry me and she's just like whoa man that's really like you're what and uh yeah so she she doesn't want to marry a military scientist which yeah um and uh then she winds up being terrorized by man thing in the hallucination um and she's terrified so man thing touches her she burns blah 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 um jeremy comes in and he's like oh my god are you okay and she's like i'm okay i'm okay that was just so weird and real and he's like i know you don't like people being with you while you write but why don't i stay here i'll just be over on the couch it's cool um and uh but then he's they both start hallucinating he starts having a thing where he's not blind anymore um that's part Which, of his hallucination also they they're sharing the hallucination that they're in the swamp yeah uh, which i've never understood how that's supposed to work but okay so they're both in the swamp he's trying to direct her on how to get out of the swamp which looks like you know it's between two trees on and there's like a rock in the way and it you know, turns out they're about to step out of the third floor of their building uh yeah. when in busts chuck well the... they were having a, they were having a conversation at one point like right before this where you know she's dating several dudes one of them is this chuck one is jeremy blah 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 um sorry go ahead yeah chuck bursts in and, and like she was dating chuck she kind of just ha- had him hang around so that i'm totally down like she's using him like he's got some money she can t- he can take him to di- or he can take her to dinner every once in a while but he's it's really not for her and uh i'm like hell yeah uh he chuck bursts in and is like you never wanted to really be with me i love you like he's insane jeremy's insane he's trying to get you to walk out the window and say cloud's like what the hell are you talking about and jeremy's like also who are you and what are you talking about uh they all have a fight chuck is all like he's a freak he's blind blah 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 i'm all man uh also yeah now because chuck ran into the room full of hallucinogenic gas uh he starts seeing or sharing their hallucination as well man thing comes out of the swamp they're all sharing in their minds uh grabs him by the face but what actually happened was that chuck ran into the table knocked the and then basically slammed his face into the man thing candle Uh, also, then that then the story's over. Like, seri- it's so weird how this story just quits. Yeah, um, they're just like, huh? Weird. Was he actually burned by the candle, or was it man thing? And it's just kind of like it was the candle. It was the candle. Don't do oh, drugs all- with with fire. 
Like we also find out in the course of this that Chuck's uncle is the guy who owns the candle shop. Like that's that's where the connection comes from. He wasn't just there randomly and was just like, "Hey, old man, how'd you like me? How'd you like to help me drug my pseudo girlfriend?" Like you know, whatever. Yeah. So it's yeah, it's and it's all supposed to be like Chuck's superficial. And there's supposed to be this redirect about how, because he was in shadow, you thought maybe Chuck was ugly on the outside, but no, it turns out he's just uh, perfect and rich and, like, she's just not into him. And he's made ugly by the candle at the end and whatever. I don't, yeah. I don't uh, really like it's, it. It's so, again, it's one of those things that is so tangentially related to man thing because like the stuff with the stuff with Korak and Dakim and Jennifer Hale and all of that is one thing because the swamp is the nexus of all realities so all of this that story flows out of what the swamp is these are just like man thing on a boat and somebody hallucinates about man thing and it's just kind of like all right yeah i feel very very passive about these stories yeah they're not because it's i'm not not actively involved yeah they're not so terrible that i actively like hate them but they're they're pointless and dumb and i'm just kind of like meh Nah. All right. So, yeah, let's uh, take a break and we'll be back with a buttload of Iron Man. Oh, yes. I'm pretty sure it was the 80s, but fuck if I know. Well, now we have to Google something. Yeah. Pause. 1988. Wow. Yeah. It was close. Yeah. All right. Whatever. Let's anyway. Uh, we're back. We're back. Yeah. Let's do Iron uh, Man forever. Ugh. Must we? Um, uh, no. Iron Man number seventy-four, written by Mike Friedrich, penciled by Arvel Jones and Keith Pollard, inked by Dick Ayers, uh, colored by Phil Rachelson, and lettered by Tom Orzakowski. So, we've had kind of a disjointed story so far with this black llama shit and that continues through the rest of it because it's there's fill-in issues well Uh, yeah the the okay so it seems like there was like a writing scheduling problem the the problem with this week is that is more of a production side and not a narratively weird side no i i agree i'm just saying i don't like the story to begin with no and having it constantly interrupted by fill-in issues, yes, then makes me just like, oh god, I I have to deal with it more. That's like that's exactly what I was gonna say. My, my feeling as I started this issue was, oh good, we're gonna wrap this the fuck up. I don't have I won't have to deal with Black Llama much longer. And then the the issues themselves then proceeded to continue to kick me in the groin because. It was like, oh yeah, you think so? All right, no, we will. 
just it won't be in four issues like you think it's gonna be yeah all of this fucking run because uh, uh we we somebody had a baby and couldn't draw that month like or who knows what it was i yeah. don't but like it's, that's the way it feels you know it is it is one of the i mean it it depends because different writers take a long time kevin smith uh and certain artists take a long time that's one of the reasons uh when when x-men starts back up and dave cockrum is the artist um he has a really hard time meeting deadlines because he's working on it and stuff like that whereas john byrne when he takes over just kicks him the fuck out like it is he's so much faster so it just depends but uh man yeah it really broke it up which made it that much worse the other thing that really bothers me is there's very little of this that tony actually has any agency in especially the villain war part he's very like getting bounced around between things like he doesn't get to make a choice about a lot of this stuff it just happens to him and Mm -hmm. that sort of sucks for our main character um because it doesn't end up feeling like it's his book which is yeah it's this other group of assholes book for three or four issues and he doesn't get to make any agency until like the end of the story um and plus i have problems with the title villain war because it's four villains who basically have one battle each with each other yeah and that's not that's not a war that's barely a tournament like that whatever all right because he goes around i love he goes around and he's like asking various villains the black llama is like appearing to various villains and saying hey do you want to take part in this and like a lot of them are just like no yeah I love that both Red Skull and Doom are like, no, I've got my own shit going on, thanks. And he's like, yeah, "Yeah, but it's a very powerful artifact. And they're like, I got six of those. Like, Doom's like, I got four of them behind me. That's just, that's, I don't even know what half those do yet. Um, Yeah. I've got a bottle of Beyonder over here. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Um, But so the beginning of this is Iron Man training in his own pseudo danger room. Then we switch to Vietnam, where uh, Crimson Dynamo, Titanium Man, and Radioactive Man are placed under house arrest. Which is simply the storyteller being like, well, don't have to worry about that anymore. Like, this is taken care of. Yeah. And then we switch to AIM headquarters, and MODOK is being debriefed by various agents who are all just like, yeah, there's a black llama going around talking to villains and being like, hey, you want to join this thing? And Vodok's like, okay. And uh, then the Black Llama shows up and he's like, hey, I have an offer for you. And Modoc's like, I know about your offer. I'll do it. And uh, the Black Llama's like, wow, that was easy. All right, you got to fight Mad Thinker. And uh, whatever. Um, Modoc turns back and one of his men is like, are you sure about this? Or this seems like a really bad idea. So Modoc kills him. Um, then we switch to Mad Thinker, who's in prison, but he gets 
the little interstitial there is that Black Llama fucks off from Modoc back to wherever the hell he is. Oh uh, yeah, wherever he goes, and we get two panels of him being like the nightmares, the nightmares, yeah. and then then we switch to Thinker, and you're just like, what? But not yeah. in a good way. It's not yeah. a good. It's not a good way. Yeah, uh, no, it's not. It's not a point where you're just like. Oh. Okay. This is this is adding to the story. You're just like, what the fuck? Um, Can I tell you what I was thinking at this point? What? I was really like, I swear to God, if this turns out to be like Tony from an alternate universe future, I'm gonna be pissed because it really sort of felt like that's where we yeah. were heading. Uh, Mad Thinker breaks out of jail after... Well, conf- he, get, he gets a vision from Marianne Rogers, the, the woman that Tony was dating that was psychic and then went crazy. Uh, and she's like, there's about to be a meteor hitting the prison, so once that happens, you just you make your escape. And Thinker's like, all right. So a hole is blasted in the wall. He escapes... But so does uh, Gilbert, the uh, firebrand. Um, and Thinker's just like, it's a good thing I thought I knew I was going to get captured at some point and set up a lab right near the prison. Um, and so he goes inside. Firebrand goes to visit Roxanne and get a suit. Um, the the Thinker is that is approached by Black Llama and he's like, yeah, sure, whatever. Um, and so he, and this is the problem here. Uh, the thinker takes control of Iron Man's armor and makes him go fight Modok. Um, the Modok finds out it was the thing. Um, so Modok puts on his giant suit like he had in that issue of Hulk, uh, where he's the head and it's a giant body. Uh, and he and Iron Man fight, um, at the end of which he grabs hold of Iron Man, um, and goes off to face the thinker. Yeah. And are we good to move on? Yeah, Yeah. we're good to move on. I don't have anything here. Uh, uh, number 75 is penciled by Arvel Jones, inked by Chick Stone, Colored by George Russo and lettered by Karen Mantlow. Um, they they arrive at the Thinker's uh, lab. Modoc was tracing the signal that was controlling Iron Man's armor. Um, so he, he tosses Tony out of the way and um, heads at the Thinker. The Thinker un- brings out his android... Um, there's a big link up between all of the people who are affected by the black llama. And so Iron Man passes out. Uh, Firebrand gets linked to black llama. Um, and he's just like, Whoa, that was fucking weird. Okay. Um, there is a bit in here where Firebrand is talking to his sister, Roxanne, and he's like, Oh my God, are you developing feelings for Tony Stark? And she's like, you don't know me, asshole. Like, you know, whatever. Um, a lot of people come off poorly. Nobody's yeah. a winner here. Yeah. So 
uh, Modok beats the robot, beats Mad Thinker, picks up Iron Man, um, and like starts working. Like uh, he starts doing something, um, but then shortly thereafter the black llama appears and he's just like you won well done now you must face yellow claw who had previously defeated the mandarin seemingly killing him um so he teleports modok and iron man there iron man is still being uh controlled here uh iron man battles some robot modok he so ugh. Iron Man and Modok both come at Yellow Claw. It turns out it's a hologram, so they slam into each other. Modok's battle suit is trashed, and we're just supposed to assume that he's die, he's dead. Um, and Yellow Claw then turns on Iron Man and blasts him. But then it's like, oh my god, it's an it's a robot. Like, but none of the this... damage did the damage didn't seem so deep okay. as to suggest that. I mean, like, he's in a robot suit. <laughs> like, you know. I, uh, anyway, um, also the timeline for like who got s- snatched when is really suspect. Like. So we flip back to Mad Thinker after this android Iron Man is destroyed, and he's got Iron Man uh, tied to a wall, uh, and he's been watching the battle through the android Iron Man, and I don't know, like, so it looks like he's had this prepared the whole time. Yeah, None of it makes sense. None of it really makes sense. Uh... Yeah, it's... So, anyway, Marianne Rogers shows up in spectral form. Okay, the only thing I can think, the only thing I can imagine that makes any sense as far as how Mad Thinker would have an Iron Man robot ready when he had no way of knowing that... Modok was going to send Iron Man after him is if this is going to be gross isn't it no go ahead I wasn't going to say sex bot are you sure damn it no that's all I can think about (laughs) um, Mad Thinker when he was approached by Black Llama Mm -hmm. immediately set to work Knowing that in the course of this, Iron Man's been involved. He goes down and creates a robot duplicate of Iron Man for his own purposes. But then Modok shows up with Iron Man and that's when blah. But that that is the only... That's not even fully formed. I'm just saying that is the only way that I can... Because there's no time during any of this that he could have done it other than when between the time that he arrived at his lab and MODOK got there the only thing unless he just had an Iron Man robot laying around. Well, wait. 
it would be the way that I can make it kind of work is Mad Thinker breaks out of jail, ends up in in Mad Thinker ends up in his lab. He turns on the control system for Tony to take over the armor. He takes over the armor, but instead, what we saw was Iron Man going to fight Modok at that point. But what actually happened was Iron Man flew or Mad Thinker had. Iron Man come to the Mad Thinker lab, chained him up, sent the robot Iron Man to MODOK, then that robot Iron Man act, thought it actually was Tony, uh, which is really sad. Now, How would he have had time to c- code I, something that complex? I don't know, maybe he's... Yeah, I, this is all I got, though. Okay. Well, blah, 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 whatever. The point at this point... <laughs> point at this moment in time is Marianne Rogers shows up to Tony uh, chained to the wall and mentally. Tony's mentally yeah and Tony has to go oh holy shit you're still around uh, and he's like you have to free yourself and do it and he's like yeah of course I will so he breaks out of the bonds uh, and Which, goes to who pick, hasn't right like right who hasn't been in a situation where you're uh, where you're contacted psychically by your ex, who's just like, "You've got this. You can do this," and you're just like, "You're right, I can." Anyway, um, so yeah, the thinker's like, "What the fuck?" And then, uh, issue over. Yeah, uh, but Iron uh, Man looks pissed as fuck. I actually like how it's more at the ne- beginning of the next issue. Yeah, it's just uh which know. is actually Iron Man 77. We skipped 76. Yeah, 76 was a reprint because yeah. again, production delays. Um It was a it was a reprint of the Mandarin story with the robot Hulk. Um so Iron Man 77 is colored by Michelle Wolfman, lettered by Dave Hunt and John Costanza. Iron Man breaks loose, defeats the Mad Thinker and his robot, and blah, blah, blah. Um, Black Llama shows up at Yellow Claw's fortress, and he's like, Hey, you won. Uh, now you just have to fight Iron Man, and you'll get the orb. Um, so, yeah. Uh, Yellow Claw's like, Sure, why not? Um, we then switch to Firebrand, who goes looking for Mad Thinker having had a lab in the area, uh, and finds it, um, and then as he's making his way in, Yellow Claw and the Black Llama appear. Um, Yellow Claw puts on a, a an exoskeleton and starts battling Iron Man, uh, and it's initially like it's initially yellow claw thinks he has the advantage here um but iron man turns it around really quickly and yellow claw is like oh no i don't i am fucked uh so he takes off and then firebrand attacks iron man and beats him at which point black llama is like i don't know who the fuck you are but great job you won the globe and uh, Firebrand's like, what? what is it? And the Black Llama's like, look, 
it's really awesome it's how i it's how i teleport around it is very powerful and firebrand's like all right i mean free teleporting globe is uh, is a pretty good deal uh all right and so he takes it at which point a wormhole opens and teleports them both away to the black llama's world Iron Man comes to right before the end of the or right before the wormhole closes and it's like, oh, fuck, I'm still into Roxy and that's her brother. Shit. Okay, and he dives through the wormhole after them because which ostensibly he's like, I, I hate that prick, but Roxanne will never or Roxy will never talk to me again if I knowingly let him be disappeared into an alternate dimension yeah and this is really the only time during the villain war proper this week that he really makes a decision to do anything because most of this is stuff that happens to him and it's only after they're teleported away that he's just like i now need to do something yeah um and it's really fucking annoying but (sighs) Speaking of, uh, Iron Man number 78, written by Bill Mantlo, penciled by George Tusca, inked by Vince Coletta, colored by Phil Rachelson, and lettered by John Costanza. We interrupt Um, your, we interrupt your regularly scheduled Black Llama bullshit to bring you pain, anguish, and PTSD. mm -hmm. It's, also, this is one of the, this is like, actually a pretty good story. It just, it really sucks that it's here. Because yeah. I would much rather have enjoyed this as a one-off outside of a, an overarching story. Especially because I just want to get through this Black Llama crap. I'm yeah. so desperately wanting to get it done. That even though this issue is actually kind of cool. Like sad and heartfelt and like it really works on Tony. Yeah. I don't want it right now. Well, and that's that's kind of the problem with fill-in issues is that's that's what winds up happening. I love standalone issues, yeah, because sometimes you fucking need them, yeah. Um, and even fill-in issues, like okay, I understand the need for them, but like this one in this place, I'm just like, oh fuck, more. Okay, we got one issue <laughs> before we had another fill-in. Uh, but it's a flashback to the Vietnam War. He's delivering a cannon. Uh, the dudes firing it are attacked. He fires the cannon, winds up accidentally blowing up a village. There's a blind kid. You know, it's a, it's a whole lot of... This is, this is the changeover from Tony Stark, uh, hero weapons manufacturer, to Tony Stark's, we're not going to make weapons anymore. This is um, yeah. This is supposedly the catalyst of, or like the seed thought, or impetus, yeah, of of that transformation. Like clearly, this is years and years and years ago. It isn't yesterday. So, like, it still takes him a long time to actually get to the. No, we're not making weapons anymore. I'm mm-hmm. sorry, we're done with that. And then even. Even further still to switch from 
Stark Industries to Stark International, which he's even further, or even trying to even further remove himself from the the weapons days. Uh, I don't know. It's it's a good story as a one off. I just wanted it at the end. Yeah, like, and the one the one thing I will say about this issue. Um, it is very easy for those of us who were born afterward to look at Vietnam and Korea, if we don't know any better, and say, yeah, it was a war. War sucks. But Korea and Vietnam were awful in ways that war kind of hadn't been at that point because it was kind of that it was kind of the it was the switch over from a this this idea of war is fought between two armies you know who the enemy is because they are wearing a different color uniform from you to anybody could be yeah an enemy you don't know you'd have kids walking up to you and then it turns out they're strapped and they blow up like, you know, and stuff like that. Um, Weapons technology was changing in massive ways. And like, I think also because it was kind of one of the first um, wars that we were involved in that was, outside of like Europe uh, there was also a lot of dehumanization and as such you don't you don't you don't understand the same the the fact that there are there is a lot of this there are villages being oh, yeah. destroyed either unintentionally or because somebody went off the fucking deep end um, Shit, Korea, I just read something that said that the population, 20%, 20% of the population of Korea died during the Korean War. Jesus. So it's, I mean, yeah. I think Korea is one thing uh, with, as pertaining to what I'm about to say. mm -hmm. uh, Vietnam was also the first war because communication like media and communications were different by that time oh, yeah. Yeah. versus like world war two um vietnam is the first war that i think you have a palpable sense of all right is this like is this good are we should we be doing this like the populace well, as yeah. a whole was not all on board with the war once america was in it like right it wasn't like world war Two, where everyone was like, let's stay out, let's stay out, let's stay out. But now that we're in, fuck it, everybody's rah, rah. in. Rah, rah. Well, yeah, and but in those Korean wars Viet- were full of propaganda. Right. And, you know, the information that reached the people back home was largely our boys in uniform are doing, doing the good across the world. And, yeah. You know. Whereas with Vietnam, it was not that at, like, the control, the message control was never there. Uh, and that hindered any anything you looked at it people would just be like i don't think i don't i don't i'm not sure that we're we should be there like what are we doing yeah Um, yeah 
I mean, yeah, if you, if you, the, the twin, the twin traumas of Watergate in Vietnam really destroyed American, uh, yeah. innocence, um, which it's <laughs> saying American innocence is not necessarily, it destroyed this notion that you could possibly have had that America makes mistakes, but it's still generally a good country. Our, our institutions operate the way they're supposed to. And if you just, you know, if something's wrong, you can fix it. And, you yeah. know, and those, those were huge blows to that. And, um, yeah. So, uh, like I said, you know, and I think when actually uh, pertaining to that exact theme, this issue does a really good job of sort of making a microcosm of that and being like, this is Iron Man's v- small version of yeah. what you're talking about. Like the, those two blows. Um, mm-hmm. He he's seriously begins to question everything that he's doing. And it, it, he isn't completely changed because he can't like this isn't the movie where it happens overnight. Well, it, right. It's 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 a longer burn, which is a little a little more believable. But this is a nice. It's it just sucks that the story is located here. Well, and it's also you know we've we've talked about the uh, the. The fact that when, um, you know, when the movie did it, it was he gets hit and then he's just like, that's it. We're done. Um, whereas in the comics, it is it is a much slower. Um, it's a much slower situation. And when. um when the um sorry you know in the comics he gets hit and then continues selling weapons for quite some time um but i think that's a natural consequence of the fact that the the sentiment at the beginning of the war was radically different like you like you said than it was later on at the beginning of the war. It was just like Vietnam, bam, do it. Yeah. Uh, and then later times change. And that is the case in the comics where, you know, a lot of these early representations of Vietnam are very propaganda, propaganda esque. They are very like commies and, like you know the only times you see vietnam in some of those 60s comics is our heroes going in and helping our boys in uniform and blah 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 and then at a certain point it starts to be like we we, we really can't push this anymore we've got to yeah we've got to move away from that and i think Um, that's a really interesting thing that happens over comics that i over those comics between the mid sixties to the, this now mid seventies is like the way that that tracks 
because it was like, well, this is how this is how we did it in the forties. They would go to the your heroes would go to the war, help the boys, and that's the, that would be the way that it worked in the forties. And it's like, well, okay, we'll just try to do that again. And as the war just fucking keeps going, and like news better news of what's actually happening is getting back and the body counts mm-hmm. going up and up and like there doesn't really seem to be a fucking plan anymore like that right. all starts coming out um like just the populace as a whole sort of turns on it i don't well, know i like this it's fucking interesting sto- to I like, look at yeah. even even the superheroes themselves because yeah, you have, that, that's what i mean you yeah. have superheroes who fought in world war ii like cap like namor you know, on and on and on. And they come home and they continue to be shining beacons of whatever. Then you have Frank Castle, Vietnam War veteran, and he comes home uh, and his family's death is a trauma, but he's also just fundamentally broken because of yeah his time in Vietnam. And it is, it's a massive shift in the, in the, way that 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 happens and there are other there are other characters who show up uh that have that wind up being affected but you know the first the first one we've really encountered that that does that is the punisher and it is it's a massive shift oh yeah Um, that's not the way heroes were made before Right. Yeah. That's why the Punisher is not exactly a good guy. Like he is right. in his first like in his first few appearances, he's like, I help Spider Man or I'm hunting Spider Man or whatever. Um I'm clearly after the bad guy, but you're not exactly the hero, dude. Um and that's I think yeah, that might that's a really interesting response to yeah. the the goings on around the war. Well yeah, and you know, it is it's like for cap going to war was a trial by fire and he came out of it improved in every way right uh for for frank castle it was something that uh he survived but he is not intact and that's carried through every ver- you know the same is true of punisher in uh, Daredevil and the Netflix Punisher series and every version of the character since then. It's just been uh, PTSD combined with more PSD, PTSD from the death of his family. And yeah. Yeah. That got way more serious than I meant for it. Uh, this, that issue. Well, okay. That issue kind of does that. So let's switch to a really stupid issue. Uh, yeah, um, we go we go from the horrors of of a war that maybe we shouldn't have gotten into to a mad scientist turning animals into people and people into animals. Uh, Iron Man number seventy nine is written by Mike Friedrich, colored by Al Wenzel, lettered by Dave Hunt. Um, can Iron I do Man, this one? Uh, sorry, go ahead. Can I, can I? Okay, so Iron Man's flying back from fucking cleveland or somewhere who cares uh there's a big fuck off storm uh tree falls onto a road onto a car he goes and saves the people out of the car uh there but the rain's coming down really hard so he's like okay you guys stay here uh oh yeah the couple has a cat 
that's important uh the he's like you guys stay here i'll go get tony he's back in town he'll come out with a car and they're like yeah sure that makes sense and he leaves uh he goes and gets a car but they're the and picks them up uh they can't find a the the rain is coming down and coming down. They can't find a hotel, so they There's end up stopping. There's no room at the inn. <laughs> There's no room at the inn, yeah. So they end up sta- stopping in... Uh, oh, God, what was the name of this place? It's like Murder Mountain Lodge. Yeah. And don't go to Murder Mountain Lodge. Yeah. Like, like sleep in your car. Uh, anyway. Especially in a world where Yelp doesn't doesn't exist yet, you don't know if it's like a theme thing or if it is actually you will get murdered. Well, like Read Yelp doesn't exist, but supervillains definitely do. Don't go yeah. to Murder Mountain Lodge. Uh, yeah. They go to Murder Mountain Lodge, check in with this old or with this grumpy lady who is really pissy about the cat, uh, and also her bellhop is this just giant of a man. Uh, Everybody goes to bed in the middle of the night. Tony wakes up when he hears a scream. He goes to the window. He can't get out. Uh, changes into Iron Man. Busts out. Uh, busts back in to find the gorilla man or the big dude and Doctor Somebody, Professor Asshole. Her, her, her name. So this is comic book naming oh, at its yeah. finest. Cure kill. Her, her name is Doctor Cure Kill. Um, the yeah. big guy's called Quasar. Uh, they're Quasar, the future man. Sure. <laughs> uh, um... So the plan here is to suck out the human essence of the couple that Iron Man picked up, and uh, to give it to Quasar. Give it more to Quasar because Quasar used to be an ape of some variety, and uh, she just transfers that evolutionary energy from the humans into them turning the humans into apes and whatever and we find out that she was doing this and it became a problem um one of her graduate students was just like what the fuck are you doing and then that graduate graduate student disappeared and she was not only transforming apes into people but then, like, she was transforming people into apes. Which, okay, like, there's... It wouldn't be... It would not be person than gorilla, all right? It would be person than common ancestor. Fine. Yeah. Whatever, I'm willing to allow for that. But... So, Iron Man gets knocked out by Quasar... Wakes up in a stasis field with Keith and Carrie. Um, and their oh, cat... they had names? Do what? Oh, they had names? I'm kidding. Yeah. Go ahead. Um, <sighs> she, uh, or they're standing there and like Tony starts calling the cat over. The cat comes over and uh, starts rubbing on his leg because the cat enters the stasis field and it is so carefully calibrated. This throws it off and Iron Man is loose. He defeats, he defeats Quasar. Uh, the cat zero starts chewing on some wiring. Uh, the doctor is just like, what do you think about this? And goes to release all of the people she turned into apes on them. 
Um, but for some reason, the wiring, rather than just not making the door not open, it causes that one to stay closed and the one in her control booth to open, where she th is then either beaten to death or eaten by apes. Um, she is shredded. Yeah. Uh, the um, I blah 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 we end up with the idea that the graduate student that got devolved earlier in the story may have been devolved into the cat and that's too weird and it's like yes it is it really is there's no there's why why would you hint okay, at that apes apes all right because we're apes that's that's fine whatever but like was she a was she a tiger-style cat person? Like, maybe. What? Ooh, no. That—that's the only way it makes sense to me. Is she was a tiger-style cat person, and fine. But yeah, no. Fuck it. There. Fuck Fixed. it. All right. Fixed. Iron Man number eighty. Whatever. Okay. <laughs> Written by Mike Friedrich and Steve Englehart. Penciled by Chick Stone. Colored by George Russo's and lettered by Ray Holloway. I don't know why I'm still talking like this. You're very um, mad. Iron Man, Black Llama, and... Uh, Firebrand. Firebrand are bouncing through the in-between, end up at Black Llama's, uh, like, kingdom, and uh, where an insurrection, a coup, is about to start. Like, as right. soon as they show up, because the, the princess is sitting there, and there's a baron and a baroness, and they're, like, basically trying to take over the kingdom, who gives a shit? They sh pop into existence. The three of them pop into existence. Uh, Black Llama's like, actually, I'm the king. And he removes his helmet. And everyone's like, ah. And I guess this throws the kingdom into utter chaos. Um, blah, yeah. blah, blah. Uh, the Firebrand one thing I will say, there is, there is. So this is an alternate Earth. Oh, I actually don't which... hate the setup. But Do what? I, as a, like world building thing i don't hate it but yeah it's it's basically uh instead of the united states uh the continent is split up into various small kingdoms and the black llama or king uh gerald gerald uh rules the i don't know the kingdom of green bay or something it's grand rapids um, do what grand rapids it was something fucking stupid um so that's fine. Like, cool, whatever. Um, but yeah, so Firebrand is like, uh, so the Black Llama is like, man, okay. So my being in the wrong universe caused like a feedback in my brain that made me crazy the longer I, crazier the longer I stayed there. When I first got there, I was perfectly rational, but by the time we left, I was just batshit loco. So I'm really sorry. None of that was me trying to... That would, I would not have done those things were it not for that. Um, I'm so sorry. I just and, wanted to get home. And um, both Brett, Black, and both Firebrand and Iron Man are like, Oh, you... Really? Uh, and Firebrand goes, mm, Nope. And fucks off and yeah. it's like i'm gonna go help the revolutionaries and iron man's yeah. like 
Okay, so I don't actually trust you. I don't, and I'm not sure that I buy this madness thing. Uh, also, I'm not sure that I condone it, even if I did, and or condone what you did, even if I bought it. And but I really need to get that asshole back to Earth. So I guess I'm helping you. That's. And, and what I, is what is really annoying about this is we start getting. We start getting little boxes that say Mad Stark, and they're just like, kill, 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 demons, ah! Like, you know. And it's not that I have a problem with that uh, narratively, because the whole thing is, the same thing is now happening to Tony and Firebrand, which is fine. Okay. Great. The problem is, it doesn't actually escalate at all until suddenly yeah there's no gradual there's no granularity with it it's just like uh, this level and then an 11 yeah and and not even not even really an 11 it goes from like zero to and then it just kind of ticks over to like half and then it goes from half to like four because even even in the moments where they're supposed to be at their craziest iron man and firebrand like don't have crazy thoughts that much and they hallucinate a little and whatever but uh so anyway there's some palace uh, intrigue where the baroness is actually conspiring against the baron to who cares yeah, she sends robots after Iron Man. Iron Man defeats them, and he's just like, well, I guess I'm in it for the duration until we can get Firebrand. Iron Man number 81 is written by Mike Friedrich, colored by Janice Cohen, lettered by Annette Kowecki. Um We kind of jump forward a little bit. Iron Man is fighting these mercenaries hired by the Baron. It turns out they're from Minnesota or something. Milwaukee. I don't know. Um... They, so he kind of burns his way through them. Uh, the Baron escapes, make it, makes it back to his wife, and he's just like, shit is kind of fucked. What, what do we do now? And she's like, why don't you relax? Take a drink. Just chill. And he's like, okay, okay. Takes a sip of the drink, and he's just like, oh, man, you would not. And she poisons him. Whatever. Um at which point Firebrand steps in from whatever door he was standing in watching and masturbating. Um, and he's oh, just the like... the murder portal. Do what? Uh, the murder portal. Yeah. And uh, he's like, hey, I like the way you killed that dude. Why don't we team up? And they're both, of course, scheming against each other now. And who gives a shit? But uh, <coughs> they go and visit the Baroness's professor and uh the he has a new device but it doesn't have a power source and firebrand's like i can be the power source and so uh we switch back to gerald and iron man and they're like talking when suddenly this metal dragon shows up iron man fights it and it's like um Firebrand is firing into a tube on the dragon's back, which then amplifies his power and powers the dragon. Uh, and 
it breathes fire and flies and blah 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 uh iron man fights it cuts off a leg on balancing it uh then he plugs up the mouth with his body and uh it causes the dragon to explode firebrand's like this is bullshit and attacks iron man at which point they both start hallucinating like lightly um yeah and uh iron man takes him down at which point they're just like okay time to go home and so they do but uh firebrand goes through um first and because of the difference in time between that world and tony's world the split second after he lee the split second after firebrand goes he jumps through but the time dilation is such that it's long enough in between on tony's world for firebrand to get away so tony pursues but loses him and then he's just like well now i guess i gotta deal with this marianne shit and it's over oh thank god yep um and this is apparently Mike Friedrich's last issue as writer. I saw that, and I was and like, and the fact that it's going to be Len Wein. No. And the fact that it's going to be Len Wein instead. Yeah. I'm like, uh. I'm okay with that. Okay, thank God. Even though, like, the next issue is teased as Plunder of the Apes, and I'm like, I'm not excited about whatever that means. Um, yeah. But the f- just not. I'm sorry, Mike Friedrich. I'm more excited for Len Wein. Yeah. Do we want to take a break now? Yeah, let's go ahead and take a break now so we don't have to split up the conversation about our next issue. So. Anyway. Uh, yeah. Okay, I think we're good. All right, we're back. And, uh... We are talking about the big thing this week, which is after quite some time, uh, having been kind of sort of canceled, the X-Men are back with Giant Size X-Men number one, uh, which is written by Len Wein and Chris Claremont, penciled by Dave Cockrum, inked by Dave Cockrum and Peter Iroh, colored by Glynis Wein and lettered by John Costanza. Now... Right off the bat, I do want to say a couple of things. Number one, um, I said Chris Claremont co-wrote this issue. Um, He was not yet on X-Men. But apparently when he was, uh, when they were working on on Giant Size X-Men, which they did for quite some time, um, I think... What I read said Len Wein started working on Giant Size X-Men in 1974. Wow. Um, and that's that's kind of why a lot of this stuff with like the X-Men popping up elsewhere um was kind of was kind of dragging on a lot. Like they'd keep being like, "Well, we've got this secret mission. Secret mission. The X-Men are on a secret mission." And it's just like, "We get it, guys." Um so apparently, um, while they were working on this, uh, it was like Roy, 
Len Wein and Roy Thomas working out of and Dave Cockrum working out of Roy Thomas's office. Chris Claremont would be outside doing some editing and he'd just be like, hey, can I listen in? And they're like, sure. So during one of these sessions, apparently they were having a bit of trouble figuring out how uh, they were going to end it, specifically how they would deal with Krakoa. And uh, Chris Claremont was like, uh, I have an idea. And so he actually suggested uh, having them combine their powers to blast Krakoa out into space. And so that's why I say he, that's why I say he partially wrote it. So, yeah. Um, the other, the other things I want to talk about um, are, first of all, Wolverine's costume. Um, so in Wolverine's first appearances, he had that mask with the whiskers, right? Um, which is not here. This is the first appearance of the kind of wings we see, we're used to seeing on Wolverine. Um, that was not supposed to be the case. When Dave Cockrum drew this issue, Wolverine was still wearing that mask he had in Incredible Hulk 180 and 181. <clears throat> um, it was actually when they sent the cover to Gil Kane to be inked, Gil Kane changed the mask. And it's not clear whether it was an accident or intentional. But when they got it back, Dave Cockrum loved it so much, he went back through the issue and changed it to this new version. Oh, cool. Um, the, other, the other thing, so... Wolverine is kind of... <laughs> we talked somewhat about how Wolverine wasn't fully... His costume was there and his personality were there, but they had no idea who and what he was, really. Yeah. Um, and a perfect example of this is that, so Wolverine was not shown out of costume for several issues yet. Uh, and once they did show him out of costume, uh, you know, they, they, he turns out to be a pretty hairy guy. But if you notice, if you look at this cover and indeed, a lot of the a lot of the issues that follow when Wolverine is in costume despite being a hairy fucking dude when he's in costume there is no hair on his arms yeah i was just um, thinking that he's also in a lot of this he's a lot taller than he is later well, on well there's that yeah there's that too but um the the thing about it is so yeah they they'd show him out of costume and he'd be furry as hell and then he'd put on his costume and it was just gone and this was the case up until x-men number 112 and uh george perez i guess drew this cover um and he put hair on wolverine's arms even though he's in costume and at that point apparently john Byrne was like that's it we're good let's Hair all over the fucking place. So, yeah. Uh, but, of course, you know, even if you've never read Giant Size X-Men, you know the cover. It is probably, yeah, like, 
cover homages occur all the time in comics. This is one that gets used a lot. It's it's uh, this and Days of Future Past. Like, you know yeah. those covers. You know those covers even if you don't know those covers. You've yeah. seen them. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Uh, so, we start... Um, we start this issue in media res uh, with a we're in Germany and we are introduced to Nightcrawler who is running from a an angry mob. Um, there are again, there are two things I want to mention here. Number one, we find out later on um, a bit of a bit more backstory about what happened just prior to this, Mm -hmm. which is that um, when Nightcrawler was adopted into the circus, he was adopted by Margali Zardos um, and taught to work the trapeze and so on and so forth. Um, Apparently, so his, his adopted brother was Stefan Zardos and he was mentally ill um, and worried about what he might do at some point um, because this was before lithium, apparently. Um, he made Kurt promise that if he ever became violent, Kurt would kill him before he harmed anyone. Uh, Stefan did go insane and Kurt killed him. And that's what caused the mob here to chase after him is because they didn't know the story. All they knew was this apparent demon killed a man. And so they tried to burn him. Um, the other thing is there are, there are several myths uh, that kind of gets cycled around regarding how certain characters came to be. And one of them involving the X-Men is that um, Nightcrawler was actually created uh, for DC. Um, this, isn't, this isn't the case. So a lot of artists and writers will create characters in their off time, just ideas that they're kicking around, things like that. Thanos started that way. Thanos was just a character that Jim Starlin had come up with. He started working at Marvel. He introduced the character, da-da-da-da-da. So, when Dave Cockrum was pitching some stuff to DC, there was a pitch he did that had a character that looked like Nightcrawler, and there there were... I guess Storm is an amalgamation of a couple of character designs he had kicking around and things like that. But it is not true to say that he was created for DC. Right. He pitched him. DC didn't care. So, yeah. Um, but the mob is getting ready to uh, to lynch Nightcrawler. Nightcrawler's just like, fuck it, and throws himself into the middle of them. Uh, they're getting ready to stake him when suddenly they all freeze and Professor Xavier shows up and says, I need mutants. You're a mutant. Maybe we can maybe we can help each other. Um, and Kurt says, can you make me normal? Um, 
and Professor Xavier quite rightly says, do you really want to be like these assholes? Yeah. Um, and so Kurt's like, yeah, good point. Um, we then switch to Quebec, uh, where Xavier... This is, this is one that always kind of confused me. I don't know how uh, this works. Like, from yeah. a, 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 an administrative, really, angle. Like, Professor Xavier just goes to Weapon X and is like... Or Department K. And is yeah. like, hey, can I borrow Wolverine? And they're like, uh... I don't know. Let's let you talk to Wolverine. Yeah. And, and he's like, okay. Wolverine comes in and he's like, so you're the big shot I'm supposed to talk to. And X is like, yeah, uh, I kind of need you for a mission to, it's a secret man. I need mutants. And, yeah. uh, Wolverine's like, all right, cool. I'll go with you. And the department case dude is like, Hey, you can't just leave. And Wolverine's like, fuck you, I can. And he's like, yeah. oh, I guess I can. Wait, yeah. what? None of this seems <laughs> official. <laughs> it's just like, you know, we've we've put a lot of money into uh, into making you. And, you. <laughs> uh, and training you and uh, feeding you and housing you, buying you hookers. Uh, and... You can't just leave. Like, get the MPs in here. Like, let's do that. Uh, but yeah, Chase, the the major, Chasen, is like, no, you can't you can't just leave. And Wolverine's like, yeah, I can. And Chasen's like, okay, but but we're we're gonna revisit this. And uh and the to to their credit here, they do actually revisit this later. But uh, then we switch to Nashville, where X-Men villain Banshee is at the Grand Ole Opry, and um, he's contacted by Professor Xavier. He's like, yeah, sure, I've done the villain thing. Let's try being a hero. Uh, they actually, they de-aged Banshee um, for this appearance, because when he originally appeared in x-men comics he was gaunter and looked a lot older yeah um and here he's he's by no means a teenager like some of these others are but he's not he's not the old man that he was and actually i found out so you know in this in these storylines um thunderbird obviously dies spoiler alert i guess um and Sunfire doesn't stick around. Uh, it was actually supposed to be them, and Banshee wasn't going to stick around either. But then oh, they okay. changed their minds. Um, we switch then to Kenya, where Storm is being worshipped as a goddess. Um, Xavier shows up and he's like, yeah, sorry, you're not a goddess, you're a mutant. Which she accepts pretty quickly, like... I feel like if she at all thought she was a goddess and somebody came up and said, yeah, you're not sorry. She would just be like, kill the non-believer. <laughs> like, yeah. You know. yeah. It, it, she is really forgiving of his insolence in this. And cause he's like, well, I need help. And maybe you need to see the outside world. And she's like, maybe I do. And I'm like, yeah. none of this conversation works whatever 
Moving on to the good part. Oh, no, not the good part yet. We get two panels uh, of him recruiting Sunfire. Yeah, who's just like, why the fuck should I? And Xavier's like, yeah, but like, you should. And Sunfire's like, you know, I didn't think of that. It's really <laughs> that way. Like, the conversation <laughs> is that, that fast. Because yeah. he starts with, I don't know why I should help you. And Xavier is does everything but say, because you should. And then Sunfire's like, well, you're right. Okay, cool. Fuck it. Uh, um, then we move to Russia. And uh, the Ut or Zensky, whatever it is, commune, uh, or collective, sorry, uh, where we meet Peter Rasputin, who... Um, excuse me. There is a runaway tractor... Headed for his sister. He saves her uh, by getting in front of it or grabbing her and then transforming to metal. It smashes against him. Um, and Xavier's just like, uh, hi, I'm from America. I run a school for mutants. You should come and study there. And he's like, if I if I am a mutant, as you say, doesn't my power belong to the belong to the state? Uh, the state and Xavier's like, nah, man. And he's like, okay, I will give up the political philosophy that I've been raised in. Let's do it. And uh, I so I actually okay. So yes, that's completely true. That's how fast. <laughs> that's how fast this goes down. But this is the like we spend more time with Colossus in this introduction like phase of the book than we do with anybody else. Yeah. Um, and be a token of that is that we get a lot more of like what he's about as a character and he's just a big sweet dude. Like, yeah, he's just a big who like loves his mommy. And I, I, I love Peter here. Like he's yeah, just a he, big. He is. Sweet... He's the only one who asks his parents. Yeah, and the his... others are just like, "Yeah, I'll sign up." And his mom Peter's and his dad like... are like, "Well, Dad, I don't know. Should I do it?" And he's like, "You have to follow your heart, son." And his he's like, "Well, okay, I'll do it." And yes, it it's is a very touching as fuck. It's corny shit, but it really works because I want to like Peter. I just mm-hmm. saw him smash it. And that's the other thing that's corny as shit that I still love is that he smashed a tractor saving his sister. And the first thing he thinks is, oh, man, they're going to have to buy a new tractor. Like, that's <laughs> rad. You're a cool dude. I'm OK yeah, with you. I Colossus is a character I enjoy when he's done correctly. Oh, yeah. Um, when you're kind of faffing about like when when him and Kitty are having relationship troubles and he's being a dick because the story demands it like then i'm i'm less into it but with this kind of thing i really like him well yeah and at and at one point uh early on in the run you know wolverine refers to him as pd pure heart and i get i get that a colossus's experiences have cha- have hardened him to a certain extent but Peter should still be in there. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, yeah. I think Lastly, even, the, even the Deadpool movie 
does yeah. a pretty good job of like explaining he's not the softy in that we meet here in that movie, but he's still like, well, we must do the right thing because that's what we do. And it's like, yeah. well, okay, I get you. He he is very much he is very much that same sort of character. Yeah. Um. Yeah. He doesn't fuck around when he's fighting Juggernaut, but. He, I mean, all throughout Deadpool too, he's like trying to help Wade, even though he has no reason to. <laughs> and also, the fight with Juggernaut is awesome because Peter doesn't actually want to like finish the fight the way that it needs to be finished. It isn't until mm-hmm. like all this is not going the way it's gonna go, right? Yeah. And then finally, he just puts him down. But that's yeah. Oh man, I should watch that movie again. All right, <laughs> last one. Um, Arizona, we have John Proudstar, an Apache, um, who chases down a bison and brings it down, and I guess just leaves it. Um, you know, like you do. This is proud. apparently he, a game he and the bison play. Um, Xavier uh, shows up. Sorry. Is, Xavier shows up, is extremely racist, and Proudstar's like, all yeah. right, I guess I'll be with you. It's like, the I get, weirdest fucking I get that it's a reverse psychology kind of thing. But it's but a, it it really hurts your case to just be like, all right. Well, I didn't know all Indians were pussies. Yeah. And I, it, it's it, Apache specifically. I thought Apache were supposed to be these brave warrior men. And it's like, holy shit, dude, back it up. Like, yeah. I can't believe he doesn't try to kill you right now. Instead, he agrees with you and moves on. Like, it was fucking weird. Point being, he's still... John's still got a bit of a chip on his shoulder when they leave. Because Xavier's well, a dick. Here's the thing. It's not just the fact that Xavier's a dick. I always... When I was a kid and I was re- I went back and read these issues... I didn't really understand why he was so angry all the time about everything. Um, And as I've gotten older and I've learned not only, um, not only more about, as I've not only learned more about the history of indigenous people in the, uh, in the United States and the Americas, but also like, I am now friends online with a lot of people who have that same anger and it makes a hell of a lot more sense now. Um, Cause yeah, like John Proudstar <laughs> at times I'm like, he should probably be angrier. <laughs> like, <laughs> But anyway, uh, so chapter two and when there was one, um, the various, teenage uh teenage weapons that xavier has collected uh come to the school and are given costumes um he he invades their minds and teaches them english and uh he then introduces them to cyclops who walks in and um tells them why they're there and what has happened. And we get a flashback to 
Uh, Cerebro picked up a huge mutant energy signature. The X-Men were sent to investigate everybody but Beast, who was off doing his own thing. Um, and uh, so they get there. It's a, it's a small island in the Pacific called Krakoa. Um, they, they get there and shit goes wrong. Um, they are, <laughs> they are attacked by everything around them. Uh, but they, they don't really recognize that at the time. Like they don't show what, what actually happened. happened. Yeah. Um, we just, we have Cyclops waking up later on the, uh, X jet without his visor um but his powers aren't working he can see without his visor and he's just like shit what's going on the jet is already flying him back to the u.s right um and he can't change it at all so it takes him back home uh he comes in and talks to professor xavier then his powers kick back on but they're less controllable than they were. They're stronger than they have been at any point up to now. And so they, they retrofit a new visor for him. Uh, and he's like, so what we need to do is we need to go and save my friends. And um, everybody listens to this and Sunfire out of all of them, is just uh, like, nope, there's no reason I need to deal with this shit. This is your problem. I got my own shit going on. Fuck off. Um, and so, yeah. Um, they all clamber into the X-Jet, everybody that's left, and is yeah. like, all right, I guess we're leaving. Uh, everybody starts insulting each other with, mild slurs well that's uh, hang hang on so chapter three uh assault force the yeah everybody's okay. on the jet and they're um sorry no it's not that's at the very end of chapter two go ahead uh sorry. yeah they, they all pile into the x jet and, and leave and then out of nowhere uh sunfire's like no wait for me and he's flying around the side of the sh- the jet they open up the door he comes inside and uh that they, they all go together i don't remember yeah. his he just turned his he just changed his mind well and and this is one of those things like so much shit has been explained over the years every bit of minutia when it comes to comics like every decision anyone has ever made for any reason you know why they made it if they didn't tell you at the time, then somebody came along later and it was like, you know, a lot of people want to know why this happened. And so they write an issue where it's just like, here's why he changed his mind. That has never happened with this. There is oh, really? no point at which somebody was just like, well, you know, Sunfire was on his way home. But then he started thinking about blah and he did this. And it was so it's just like Sunfire's just a mercurial prick. But anyway, uh, chapter three, Assault Force. Um, they they arrive in the airspace of Krakoa, and Cyclops sp- splits them up, puts together Storm and Colossus, Banshee and Wolverine, uh, Thunderbird and himself, 
and then Nightcrawler and Sunfire. Um, they each kind of... And Nightcrawler and Sunfire have decided they hate each other. Yeah. Uh, there, There is... Well, <laughs> Nightcrawler's just kind of there, whereas Sunfire is just like, you're sticking me with this dipshit? Like, look at him. What can he do? And Nightcrawler's just like, you know I'm right here, yeah? <laughs> and Sunfire's like, don't talk to me. And Nightcrawler is like, I do, I do not understand why, where this, where this animosity has come from, mein Freund. And Sunfire is like, blah, 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 blah. that's what you sound like right now. Sun- Fuck you. Sunfire and, is a giant dick. Yeah. Uh, um, everybody. The jet or everybody piles out in their in their squads. The jet lands. Sun or Cyclops and John get out. Uh, they forgot something. They get out, walk a couple of yards, and then Cyclops is like, "Ah, oh, the the strobe. Well, oh, fuck. It's or he had a mini Cerebro unit that he left in the in the jet. Turns around, the jet's gone. Uh, so that's weird." They immediately find, like, a temple off on the horizon, and they're like, okay, let's go that way. We can at least... Everybody meet up there, probably. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're attacked by some vines. They fight off the vines. Uh, John's real strong and pretty much a badass. Uh, and they get to the temple. Cut to Storm and Colossus are attacked by a canyon. Um, and they use their powers to defeat all these rocks that were being flung at them and seem mm. to have minds of their own uh but they get to the temple banshee and wolverine are attacked by giant crabs uh they summarily take them over and get to the temple uh, and, let, and let's be honest neither of these guys are strangers to crabs n- no nope uh That's... lastly nightcrawler and sunfire uh fight some birds and uh this is this it, this is the first time that i feel like we've seen nightcrawler teleport it is yeah uh he doesn't teleport at all during the scenes in germany yeah um and it's and, really not dealt with here like yeah he's attacking a bird right because they're being attacked by eagles or something and he is about to get like done like get eviscerated by one of these birds and he he bamps and which is this is kind of a thing that i don't think survives the test of time like of his powers Mm -hmm. but he bamps and like lights that bird on fire the one that was gonna (laughs) attack him and he ends up in a different place sunflyer's like ah maybe you're not as useless as i thought you were and they arrive at the temple yeah um so all of the various uh duos get there and uh blast through these doors um and find the other original x-men who are all there are these weird sucker vines attached to all of them um they they cut them down and get them outside and as they come to Angel's like, oh my god, Cyclops, you idiot. And Cyclops is like, what? I just saved your life. And Angel was like, it was a trap. The island, the island sent you 
to bring more mutants so it could feed off of them. At this point, um, there's there's an earthquake and the ground starts to rise up and we discover that there is no mutant on Krakoa. The island of Krakoa is a mutant. Um, so then we, we move on to chapter four, Krakoa, the island that walks like a man. Um, and we get a brief explanation as to how that happened, which is that nuclear tests in the Pacific caused this island to turn into a hive mind. Um, and uh, that's how this creature came to be. Um, but it needs to feed off of them. And uh, so that's how we arrive at this situation. Um, they start fighting and the X-Men are outclassed. Like they, they, nothing they're doing is making a difference whatsoever. Um, because they're all attacking individually. Right. Um, Professor Xavier chimes in from New York and is like, um, <clears throat> he starts attacking um, the island telepathically. This gives the X-Men time to put the plan into effect, which is <clears throat> Lorna stands there and starts gearing up. Storm flies up and starts channeling electricity into her in order to gear up her powers. Um, there's a brief moment where Havoc is like, Scott, she can't handle this. Like, you, this is going to kill her. And Cyclops is like, dude, I've got this under control. Please just trust me. So, um, <clears throat> so, uh, Professor Xavier is unable to keep up the assault and, uh, Krakoa winds up. It turns out that the storm that Aurora has started in order to get that lightning going is actually making Krakoa stronger. Um, so it's at this point that Scott and Alex both use their powers to um, funnel energy into Lorna, uh, which causes... Yeah, this is, this is kind of weird. So she directs her magnetic powers downward um which causes the earth to basically violently reject krakoa yeah uh and so lorna screams and pass or uh lorna passes out um and then we get it we get a brief mention of the love triangle between iceman havoc and Polaris, uh, which was begun back when Lorna first showed up before right. X-Men was canceled and gets mentioned here, but then just kind of dropped. Um, but we'll get to that in a second. Um, so Iceman picks her up. Havoc is like, hey, I've got her. And Iceman's like, dude. A real man is handling it. And Havoc's like, oh, you fucking asshole. But Cyclops is like, guys, we've got to get out of here. Save it for when we get home. 
And so Iceman builds an ice raft. They all climb onto it and um, hurry out to sea. Krakoa is blasted into space. Um, now, if you know anything about what has happened with X-Men in the last 15 years, you know that uh, Professor Xavier sent a second team in between. So he sent the X-Men. Uh, they disappeared. He gathered a second team, sent them in, and they were... And they disappeared. Um, seemingly killed. So, one of those was Scott's brother. Uh, oh. Vulcan. Uh, and God, I it's literally... Uh, Xavier erases Cyclops' memory oh, of what happened. And his brother. And all of it. Uh, and then gathers together a third team. It turns out that several of the second team survived uh, and are on Krakoa and get blasted into space with it. Uh, so that sucks. But the new the new hole created by the absence of the island starts to get filled in with the ocean water. Um, so Iceman covers it uh, over so that they don't drown. <clears throat> At which point it bobs around in all of that and then surfaces again. Um, they, they, he brings down the ice bubble and they find their ship just floating there. Yeah, lucky break. Uh, that yeah. The jet, that the jet survived. Yeah. Um, and then uh, they take off and head back to home. And there's a brief moment where Angel's like, Man, this is a lot of X-Men. What are we going to do with all these people? Um, now, there were several things that I found out that were interesting here. Um, sorry, there was an app. Um, if, you, if you look at the end of this issue, it says next issue, uh, something happens. Um, <clears throat> the plan had apparently been that... Uh, giant size X-Men would continue and that's where this would go on. Uh, however, the, the giant size books were suffering somewhat. So they decided to go ahead and stop that there and then carry on over into the X-Men Zone series, which then picks up with number 94. So 94 and 95 were actually supposed to be Giant Size X-Men number 2. Oh, okay. Um, but then... That explains that. Because I yeah. went... There's another... In Marvel Unlimited, there's another entry for... There's Giant Size X-Men 1975, and then there's Giant Size X-Men... I think it's 1999... Or yeah, there, there are four or five issues in Giant Size X-Men, and they've come out uh, the one kind that's of the off latter, and on over the years. The latter one starts at three. And I was like, where did number two go? And oh, okay, if number two was supposed to be... if Yeah. Well, there is a number two. I used to own every issue of Giant Size X-Men, and oh, there really? is a number two. Um, but it was not released until way later, and it was something else entirely. Um, but yeah, the, the plan had been 
because they were reviving X-Men and they didn't know how big a hit it was going to be, they were hedging their bets and they they were going to release Giant Size X-Men quarterly um, going forward. But then um, it turned out that the book was a massive hit and so that they carried it over into X-Men and uh, it was at that point that it picked up with 94. Um, and then they're like, okay, well, this many characters could work in a giant size, but in a, in a regular book, this is way too many fucking cast members. Um, and it's a problem that X-Men runs into all, all the goddamn time. time. That's why they you end up with... Yeah. That's why you end up with like what we got going on now with three or four. I don't remember how many there are at the moment, but there's at yeah. least three or four teams. There's at least three. There's I well, there's red, gold, and black. And and then all blue. of the various ancillary oh yeah, blue. Yeah, because it was blue and gold first, and then red came along, and I think black must be the most recent. Yeah. Uh but so there's at least four core X books. Um, all with casts that move around from each other. Right. Because Gene's been on two of them. Mm-hmm. Um, and well, one, the thing is one gene was the old gene, which let me rephrase that one is gene from the original X-Men and one is gene having oh, been yeah. revived after her death. But right. yeah. anyway, I hate X-Men and I love it. I hate X-Men and I love it so much. Yeah. Um, So wait, which one are you? Which Bobby are you? I'm not gay. Okay. Sure. Yeah. Um, Um, But so it's at that point that they wrote out uh, the original X-Men with the exception of Cyclops. Sunfire told everybody to go fuck themselves. Things like that. Um the, the other thing is, and I, this is one of those things I find incredibly interesting as far as how these characters come to be. Um, because as we, as we covered, Wolverine was not finalized yet. And in these early issues, there's not even really a lot to indicate what Wolverine's mutant power is. Because his no. claws are ostensibly part of the gloves at this point in time. Yeah. Uh, they wouldn't reveal that he had a healing factor until way later. And in fact, in an issue where they're in the Savage Land, uh, Wolverine takes off his shirt and he's got a bunch of scars. Um, so that wasn't added until way later. Yeah. He didn't even have the adamantium skeleton at this point. Right. I don't think we get to see his like his heightened senses until way later. So like, what the fuck can this guy do other than, I mean, he's, he's hard. Well, he's hard. He can fight. He, he's a scrapper, but like, what is his actual mutant power? What is, what is your deal? That doesn't get answered for a while. Yeah. And it, and it's actually, it, it goes all because I was reading. So, the the first plan was that the glo- the claws were going to be part of the gloves. Then, um, during the storyline where the Sentinels come back, they reveal that he 
that it's part of his hands because he is strapped to a wall uh, in civilian clothes and he pops the claws and breaks himself free. Right. But there were a couple of fill-in issues that were written prior to that happening that then were used after that issue in which either he only uses the claws when he has his gloves on or uh, in one of them, I think it was drawn by Herb Trimpey, in one of them Herb Trimpey drew him with something on his hands that allowed him to use them otherwise. Okay. But they kind of, they kind of blend into his gloves uh, sure. that he's wearing because it's like winter, and so it kind of looks like they're just weird a weird part of the glove, uh-huh. uh, which is what I always thought in those issue in that issue. Um, so yeah, the other thing is so Wolverine doesn't appear out of costume until ninety six, ninety seven, something like that. What issue? Issue oh. number 96 or 97, not the year. Sorry. It's like 20 years? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Issue 96 or 97. Uh, everybody else, you see him with and without costume, but Wolverine is always in costume. Um, and so when Dave Cockrum left and John Byrne was coming on, he had an idea for a... <clears throat> for a what Wolverine would look like without his mask on. Um, however, at that point in time, Dave Cockrum had already designed a face for Wolverine. Um, and John Byrne's version has blonde hair and so on. Uh, well, that they wound up using for Sabretooth over in Iron Fist. Sure. Um, I mention this because there is a point where... Um, the Sentinels have captured the X-Men and uh, the <clears throat> they're, they've got these technicians that are there and the Sentinels refer to Wolverine as a mutant. The technician says, actually, he doesn't appear to be. And I don't know, did we cover this when we talked about Wolverine's first appearance? No. Maybe. Okay. Well, there was talk at that time of making Wolverine not be a mutant. He would have been basically one of the uh, high evolutionaries, new men. Oh, he would have literally been a Wolverine mutated to a man. Um, they dropped this, and that origin was actually then given to Spider Woman for a while. Um, it's yeah, but man so here's comics. the do what man, I said, just man comics. Oh, Get your shit together. I, your I shit. Get it together. <laughs> I didn't realize there was a comma there. Uh, so I thought you were saying man comics, like oh, uber no. manly comics, where it's just like. Uh, chopping down trees with your pecs, like you know. <laughs> no. Um, but so here, so here's the thing. So they used the uh, the sketch John Byrne had done for Sabretooth. Um, and there was also talk 
of making Wolverine the first of a new species. Um, wherein Sabretooth would, Sabretooth would be a mutant and Wolverine's father. His mutation then carries on over to Wolverine and Wolverine would then be like, not necessarily a mutant, but something else that came from Sabretooth. Um, parts of that have been used uh, like when when Claremont returned to X-Men with X-Men Forever that picks up after X-Men number three, he made Sabretooth Wolverine's father. And there had been clues dropped about it over the years and so on and so forth. Um, the the different species thing has been used a few times, um, most notably during Jeff Loeb's whole thing where Wolverine kills Sabretooth and they introduce uh, Romulus and all that shit where it turns out that uh, Wolverine and Sabretooth are part of a splinter, uh, an, ev an evolutionary splinter group that is a whole thing. And that actually, that is the result. The result of that is all of the various other lupine mutants like Feral, like Wolfsbane, like Wildchild, yada, yada, yada. The other is in uh, the Earth-X continuity where, you know, it turns out that humans mutate because of the celestial seed put inside of each human. Um, and that's what causes mutation in all of its various forms. Oh, okay. Whether it's mutants, whether it's the Fantastic Four whether it's blah, 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 blah. Okay. And so in the Earth-X continuity, humanity gets exposed to the Terrigen Mists, which causes everybody to mutate, okay? Down the line in Paradise X, I think it was, um, they, have, they have alternate universe versions of characters show up, so there's two Wolverines, whatever. It turns out in that, um, in the Earth-X continuity, Wolverine is part of a species that exists just out somewhere. Um, and he is, what, he is what humanity would have been had the Celestials not experimented upon humanity. Oh. So, yeah, the, this, this concept's been visited and revisited on several occasions, uh, but the Jeff Loeb thing got retconned, uh, and EarthX was a different universe and so on and so forth. So it's all, it's all a clusterfuck, but yeah, Wolverine, Wolverine did not... I mean, even his healing factor, once they decided to kind of move in that direction, that still took several um, different... Because at one point, um, he's injured, and the first mention we get of him healing faster than anyone is he says, Nah, I'm okay. I, I heal real fast. And then it's actually in the... Uh, the Hellfire 
storyline in the lead up to Dark Phoenix that he actually gets shot. Yeah, and, I remember uh, that. It's at that point that it's like, no, it's a legit healing factor. Right. Uh, and so, yeah. But it's it's just so weird to... So often we think of these characters as bursting fully formed from the mind of a creator. And certainly that's more the case today than it was back then. Uh, back then, when you when you had... Um, I don't, I don't know what a lot of people I know who, who worked in comics based on interviews and things I've read have been kind of like, eh, it's comics, whatever. Like, and I'm not saying everybody was like that, but that's an attitude I've seen mentioned, um, and so either because of that or because people are trying to put out so much each month that they just don't have time to, to worry about it, yeah. completely flesh out a character. It's right. like, this is the general idea. This is who they are. This is kind of what they got going on. Put them in there. Um, but, you know, it, it, it is. It's, it's so weird that... Um, so many of these characters, it takes such a long time for them to really become that thing that you know. Um, yeah. So, anyway. Um, so, yeah, Giant Size X-Men. And next week we actually get some X-Men. So that's cool. great. Um, Good. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, top five? Top five! The Watcher's Guide's Top Five! Top five. Top five. Alright, so, number five from me. I got Man-Thing, Man-Thing killing a dragon with a stop sign. Because it was rad. Yeah. And I will fight you. Not you. But the hypothetical you, if you don't think that was rad. Uh, yeah. Number four. So in Iron Man 77, he finally, like, gets pissed. And, like, I like the way that he he uses it to take down, um, I think it's Mad Thinker at that point. Um, it's yeah. probably the highlight of the whole at least the villain war part because it's the only time where Tony is like I'm done with this like this has been bullshit wall to wall since it started and I just keep getting dragged into shit nope I'm done and the way that he uses how pissed off he is is I it's fun it's probably a highlight at least of those four or five issues uh number three when Cyclops is recounting the story about how he got back to the mansion. Um, he gets back, he stumbles in, and then tries to relate to Xavier what the hell is going on. And then his powers start coming back as he's telling the story. And they come back so fierce that they're basically blasting him across the room. 
I like Cyclops' powers. And I like when they're being used in ways that are interesting. I like the fact that they're essentially uncontrollable. um, And that if he's not wearing a visor, motherfucker is gonna fuck shit up. And I thought that was a really cool couple of panels, the way that they showed that. Um, I don't know. I really liked it. Number two, Storm is easily convinced she's not a god. Like, that one went over really well. You could have could have done most of a book just with that explanation. Like, that argument. You're not a god. No, I am a god. No, you're not. Um, but then, knowing Xavier, she'd just... He, he, he would just invade her psyche and fix it. Xavier. He's a cool dude. Number one, meeting Colossus. I thought that was rad. Uh, he's a super, super sweet lughead. Uh, I like him a lot. I like the fact that he likes it. He loves his mom. It's just, he's a nice dude. I like him. Yeah. All right. That's me. Cool. Uh, so I, I had a really hard time because it was really hard not to just say X-Men for all five. (laughs) Um, so, uh, I will say a couple of them are inadvertently Iron Man, but, um, in general ways, um, number five, uh, is man thing shows up in his own book, but only as a candle. Yeah. Uh, number four. I thought about saying that because I realized um, that the constant like reprints and fill in issues in Iron Man uh, may not have just been a story interruption. They may have been trying to save us from villain war. But I did what I decided to go with was the idea that you can call something a villain war when it's four dudes two who are ancient a guy whose only power is that he's a nerd and a macrocephalitic paraplegic uh so good one um but into the serious answers uh number three is the stop sign decapitation because that was fucking amazing um in a very low light week of uh, man thing that was oh thank god yeah yeah uh number two was iron man 78 uh it is a pity that it was stuck in in the middle of this and it was really hard not to just view it as a distraction from finally finishing that fucking thing but it is a really good issue. Um, yeah. And number one is X-Men. Uh, not just not just is Giant Size X-Men um, fun to read and fun to look back on, but also I'm just so glad the X-Men are back. Uh, fuck, man. <laughs> I yeah. missed reading X-Men. Even, even shitty X-Men. Like, at least I'm reading about the X-Men. You know, well, but even crappy X-Men, especially at the time, even crappy X-Men was better than good Daredevil. So, yeah. 
Man, Daredevil's been terrible for a really long time. It has. I, uh... Woof. Okay. All right. Anyway, so that is it for us this week. We will be reading two issues of X-Men next week. Uh, so I'm just going to be hard all week long. Um, then, uh, in the meantime, feel free to like us on Facebook, follow us both individually on Twitter and collectively at, at watchers guide MU email us at watchersguide at gmail.com or visit our website at watchersguide.com. If you like the show, please go on to Google Play, uh, Stitcher, iTunes, whatever you use to listen to the show and rate and review us because uh, it'll get us in front of other new people. Um, and uh, so have a marvelous week. All right, bye.